All right, let's turn our Bibles to the book of Matthew, if you would please. Matthew chapter 23. We're going to read verses 37 and 38 to get us started this morning. Matthew chapter 23, verses 37 and 38. Jesus is speaking, and he cries out in verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings, and ye would not. Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. Now, before I announce the title, don't be shocked by the title. I want to assure you this is as fundamental as it gets. But if I was to title this just to get your attention, it has to do with the failure of Jesus. You say, Jesus never fails. That's what the songwriter said. But I believe you'll agree with me on the failure of Jesus as I preach the message. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of the Lord Jesus, and I pray, Heavenly Father, the Spirit of God would deal with hearts. There's some here today that need Christ, and Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done for them to go to heaven. So I pray today they would do their part to believe on him, to receive him, so they can have heaven. Lord, there are Christians that Jesus has already done everything that we need to have an abundant life. Dear God, may they make the decisions that they need to make so they can have that abundant life. Do your work, I pray. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. Calvinists have a doctrine of which they give their own definition to. And this doctrine that they believe is absolutely crucial to everything else that they believe. Now, they call it the doctrine of the sovereignty of God. Now, we believe in the sovereignty of God. But we don't believe in the sovereignty of God the way that they explain it. One of the things, as they draw this thing out through their reasoning, is that God, because he's God, is sovereign above all things and everything that he wills, will happen. There is absolutely nothing, nothing that God wills that can't be done and won't be done. Now, Scripture says very plainly that God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Now, their doctrine says, their doctrine says that everything God wills will happen Because God is sovereign and he wills it so. And so they have trouble reconciling how can God will that everybody gets saved when everything he wills will take place and we know that everybody doesn't get saved. Therefore, on the basis of what they believe about the sovereignty of God, therefore they have to believe that What that verse is really saying is God is not willing that any of the elect should perish. He's not talking about just any, but it has to be just the elect because it makes no sense to them that God could will that everybody gets saved 
when everybody doesn't get saved. And for some reason, I don't know why it's never occurred to them, or somehow it does not compute in their brain, they cannot even imagine that God as sovereign has in his sovereignty given man a free will to choose him or to direct him or to, to, uh, to, uh, to reject him or to receive him. One of the two. They don't get that at all. And yet because he is sovereign, he obviously can give man a free will. Now God could, because he's a sovereign God, he could make us robots and have programmed us to either be saved or to be lost. But that's not what God says in his word. God says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. But for these people, they have to believe that God doesn't love the world. He only loves the elect. So the world means elect. And that whosoever doesn't mean just anybody, not just anybody can get saved, but only those that he, that he has already chosen to get saved. And everybody that dies and goes to hell, dies and goes to hell because God chose them on absolutely no basis whatsoever. God chose them to die and go to hell and that pleases him. What a horrible doctrine. It's a doctrine that they make God a liar. They have to continually change verses. They have to do that in order to fit their reasoning. And yet we believe that God wrote what he meant. We believe that God meant what he wrote. And I believe with all my heart, as the scripture clearly teaches, even in the last invitation in the Bible, when I want you to notice it. Turn over to Revelation chapter 22. And verse 17, either it's true or it's not. He says, in the spirit and the bride, say, come. Let him that heareth say, come. And let him that is athirst come. And whosoever will, whosoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. Because of their doctrine of sovereignty, God makes them do it. It has nothing to do with their will, but only his will. And it is totally false. Now, having said that, to begin this message, when we say God never fails, we mean anything he promises to do will be done exactly like God said that he would do it. All the prophecies, for instance, concerning the first coming of Jesus Christ were fulfilled exactly like God said. Every prophecy. And by the way, they were all fulfilled literally. And on that basis, we can conclude that every prophecy that he made about the second coming of Christ will also be fulfilled. And it will be fulfilled literally just exactly like he said. Now, see, there's not one prophecy that'll want its mate. In other words, every prophecy will have its fulfillment. Now, since God gave man a free will, although God wants everyone to go to heaven, he doesn't make them go. They have to make a decision to go. He gave man the ability to make decisions and the freedom to make the decisions. The truth is everybody of us 
we fail from time to time. And when we talk about Jesus failing or the failure of the Lord Jesus Christ, it has nothing to do with him failing to do anything because he didn't have the power or the might to get it done. But because he gave man a free will, after all, Jesus' work is complete. He didn't fail in anything in his work. He completed it all exactly like he said. Then how can you say that Jesus fails? Well, why'd he come? The scripture says he came to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why he came. In Matthew chapter 18 and verse 11 and in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, he makes it very plain. Jesus came to save the lost. He wants to save the lost. Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1.15, This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation, that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. You say Jesus never fails. Then where is the failure of Jesus? Everybody doesn't get saved. Not because he doesn't seek them. Not because he, this one who is the light of the world has lighted every man that cometh into the world. Not because he's not drawn men. For Jesus said, and if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. So we know that he draws men, but because he's given them the free will to make a choice to receive him or to reject him. He doesn't save all men only because they don't choose to be saved. Now, he came down from heaven for us, for all of us. He offered himself for all of us. Mankind has a need of the Messiah. You remember in John chapter 1, when uh, Andrew came to Peter and he said, we have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. He is the Savior. He's the only Savior. Bible says in Isaiah 43 and verse 11, For I even I am the Lord, and beside me there is no Savior. He is the only one. There's nobody else who can save. In 1 John 2 and verse 2, he says, And he is the propitiation for our sins. That word propitiation means the covering for our sins. Or if you, if, uh, uh, I lost the word I was going to say. I know that never happens to you young people, but it just happened to me. I think it fell out into one of these holes up here, and it's not coming to me. Let me go back to the verse. And the satisfaction, there you go. He is the covering, or he is the satisfaction uh, for our sins. In other words, his sacrifice at Calvary was everything that was needed to take care of our sin problem. Hallelujah for that. In 1 Timothy 4.10, the scripture says, For therefore we both labor and suffer reproach, because we trust in the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. See, there's no other Savior that any man can turn to. You either turn to Jesus Christ, or you remain lost because he's the only one who can save. You trust your works, you're trusting something that can't save you. You're trusting your goodness, you're trusting your church. Those are things that cannot save you. Jesus Christ is the only one who can save you. You see, salvation is not found in religion. 
It's found in Jesus. It is found in a person. He was the complete sacrifice. The Bible says he was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Romans chapter 4 and verse 25. In 1 Peter 2, 24, who his own self bear our sin in his own body on the tree that we being dead to sin should live under righteousness. Thank God that the Lord Jesus Christ took our sin upon himself on Calvary, the complete sacrifice for our sin. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4. The scripture says that Christ died for our sin according to the scriptures and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day according to the scripture. Jesus did not fail in anything that has to do with taking care of sin so that man could have eternal life. And he wants all men to be saved. He makes it available to all men. If you're not saved today, that's your fault. It's on you. Christ has already done everything so you can get to heaven. He's given you the word of God. He's given us the gospel of Jesus Christ concerning his death, burial, and resurrection. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. If you're lost, it's because you've chosen not to get saved. You say, well, I I haven't chosen not to get saved. I've chosen to wait. Well, you die while you're waiting, you're going to burn in hell for eternity. He wants you to be saved. He longs for you to be saved. On the cross, he paid your sin debt. He wants you to go to heaven. But if you don't trust him, you will die and go to hell. It's as simple as that. You know, all of sin to come short of the glory of God, the wages of sin is death. So he sent the Bible then, gave us the Bible to tell every man his need. He made salvation so simple, anybody can have it. John 1, 12, but as many as received him, to them give he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. I mean, the Bible is so clear on this. Salvation by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. John 3, 36. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. What more could he do? He paid it all. He offers eternal life. And his desire is that you get saved. And yet still people die. And go to hell. I mean, after all, in Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse 21, Jesus said, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven. Hmm. He said, Many will say unto me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name, and in thy name cast out demons, and in thy name done many wonderful works? And then will I profess unto you, unto them, Depart from me, ye workers of iniquity. I never knew you. There's going to be a bunch that are going to die lost. He didn't want them to die lost, but they're going to die lost. Bible says, Jesus said, Matthew 25, 41, Then shall he say unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. Now, if a person dies lost, it's not what Jesus wanted. He wants them to go to heaven. But they die lost without Christ. Why? Well, let's get back here to the verse. Notice in verse 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou that killest the prophets and stonest them which are sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thy children 
together, even as a hen gathereth her chickens under her wings. Underline this, ye would not. Notice he didn't say you could not. He said, and ye would not. People are lost because they would not take Jesus Christ as their Savior. If you're lost today, if you're without Christ, it is because ye would not. He's crying over Jerusalem. He said, how often would I have done this? How often would I have gathered you together? But ye would not. What a tragedy. In John chapter 5, verses 39 and 40, Jesus tells the Jewish leaders, he said, Search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, but they are they which testify of me, and ye will not come to me that you might have life. He said, Look at your Bible. Look and see what it says. He says, in the scripture is eternal life, in this written word of God. Because the written word of God points you to the living word of God, Jesus Christ. And there is a difference between the written word and the living word. The written word points you to the living word. You can have the written word and die and go to hell. You must have the living word in order to die and go to heaven. You must have the living. There is a difference. I've heard people say that says Jesus is the word. Therefore, as long as you have the word, you have life. That's not what Jesus says here. He said, search the scriptures. In them, in the scriptures, you think you have eternal life. But they are they which testify of me. And ye will not come to me. Not ye could not, but ye will not come to me that you might have life. In Jesus Christ is life. In other words, he's saying, I would, but ye would not. Now, some will not come to him because of their friends. I mean, they're afraid of what their friends will say. And so they don't come to Jesus. Well, what do people think if I become one of those, one of those Christian people? Well, I'll tell you what, wouldn't you like your friends to go to heaven? You can't have an influence on them for heaven unless you're saved. How can you expect to possibly influence them to tell them of the wonderfulness of the Lord Jesus Christ if you don't know him yourself? I mean, if as far as you're concerned, he's not good enough for you to trust in him, why should your friends trust in him? You can't help anybody until you get saved. So the Lord Jesus Christ makes it very plain in the scripture that ye would not, it's on you if you die and go to hell. Now you said, preacher, and just last week you covered this thing about salvation. You spent a lot of time on it. Why? Well, because there are still lost people. That's why we spend time on it. There are people listening to the message right now in the auditorium, also over the internet that didn't hear this message last week because they weren't here, they weren't listening. They need to hear it now. And it doesn't hurt. I'm reminded of the songwriter who said, I love to tell the story for those who know it best, seem hungering and thirsting to hear it like the rest. And that's me. I love hearing a gospel message. But some, some will not take Christ as Savior 
because of fear of their friends. Some will not take Christ as Savior because of bad testimonies. I mean, not every person, first of all, understand this. Not every person that says they're a Christian are Christians. It's amazing. I've heard people say, well, I knew a Christian once, and man, they drank and they cussed or they did me wrong. Uh, therefore, I'm not going to trust Jesus. You're an idiot. Amen. I mean, how dumb is that? Just because they said we're Christ- they were Christians doesn't mean they're Christians. It just means they said they were Christians. You don't know if they've been born again or not. And perhaps there's a good chance they hadn't been born again. And wouldn't you be foolish to die and burn in hell forever because somebody who is pretending to be a Christian who ends up in hell as well, you end up spending eternity with them, screaming at one another. How about that? That doesn't make any sense. And yet there are people who do that very thing. But admittedly, sometimes Christians, I mean real born-again believers, don't act right. Sometimes they don't talk right. Sometimes they don't do right. I mean, sometimes some born-again believers are carnal and they act just like the world acts. Now, that's terrible to be a bad testimony for that. Matter of fact, let me say, the person who invited me to play softball with with the softball team at First Baptist Church in Otsego, Michigan was a man, he was a fellow radio announcer. He and I were good friends. We did a lot of things together. He went to the same places I went. He watched the same things I watched. He allowed the same foul words out of his mouth that came out of my mouth. He was a horrible testimony for Christ. As a matter of fact, uh, he's got a little pamphlet on his testimony. At the time that he asked me to play softball with the church team, even though he was brought up in that church from a child, he admits he was lost during that whole time. As a matter of fact, he didn't get saved until after he ruined his marriage, got caught up in rock and roll radio station. I met him at a country western radio station and got caught in it, lost his marriage, met somebody else, got married, and it's finally after that that he got born again. How silly, how dumb, how idiotic would it have been for me to have rejected Christ because this church-going person who wasn't even saved, who lived like the devil and lived like the world when he wasn't in view of the other church people, how dumb would it have been me for me to reject Christ as my Savior because of him? I'll tell you what that's like. In my billfold, I'm hoping I've got a $20 bill. There's a one, there's a one. Wow, there's a one. I don't mean 21s, I mean a 20. Ah, there's a $20 bill right there. Now, as far as I know, let's see if it's got the strip in it there. I think that's what that is. I think this is a good $20 bill. But if you brought in a bushel of counterfeit $20 bills and put it right there, I would not say, you mean all those are counterfeit $20 bills? Why, I don't want that one because I've seen a bunch of counterfeits. How ignorant would that be? I mean, how tragic that would be for me. I'm not leaving it there. Some of you are looking way. 
I could tell a lot of you were more interested in this bill laying on the floor than what I was saying. You're powerful right there. Some of the Jesus says, I would, but you would not. Some because they simply love sin. We had a man that I visited every week when I pastored Pinewood Baptist Church in North Chattanooga. His wife and daughters came to the church. He would not come. And I'd go over there to try to win that guy to the Lord. I don't know how many times I went. Matter of fact, he knew the gospel as well as I did. He could have, he could have repeated the gospel back to me without me saying a word. I'd say, Tommy, why don't you get saved? He says, I love my beer. I love my beer. Matter of fact, back then, this was the 1970s, uh, he drank at least $300 worth of beer every week. They didn't live in a house. They lived in a mobile home. Matter of fact, the first time my wife and I went over there, there were cockroaches playing football on the wall and across the coffee table. And, man, we were sitting there. And, you know, you get one kind of coming up to you, and you don't know what's getting you from the back, you know. I see one coming, I'd kind of work my foot over and... At least that one I won't be taking home. Uh, Man, it was terrible. Matter of fact, he told me he always packed, and he took a lunchbox off to work, and he always packed a couple of beers in his lunchbox. That was his lunch. Tommy, why don't you get saved? No, no, he said, I love my beer too much. Uh... A lot of people reject him because they're afraid they're going to give up some sin if they get saved. By the way, if you get saved, you'll want to give it up. Now, giving it up won't take you to heaven. But it's amazing how many people will not come to Jesus because they know. And that's the amazing thing. Lost people know that their sin is sin. It's amazing to me when you've got Christians who say, well, I don't want to give up my beer. Wait a minute, you mean you're still drinking beer and you're saved? Why are you doing that? I knew when I was lost that there were certain things Christians weren't supposed to do. I knew that. Why, if I got saved, I'd have to go to church. That means I'd miss all that sleep on Sunday morning. I knew that. Well, I don't have to go to church, but I got saved and I wanted to go to church. And I wanted to go to church Sunday night. And I wanted to go to church Wednesday. I wanted to be in the house of God. I wanted to be at the revival services. Man, I remember the first revival that we had with Dr. Bill Piper. Hilding Halverson was the song leader. And man, I tell you, I got supercharged. That for something about a revival, man, it just seems like the more you get, the more you get, and the more you want to get. Some simply because they simply choose not to believe. Perhaps they thought they'd not be able to live it. I had one guy tell me, matter of fact, he lived in Fiery Gizzard Cove and uh, there just north of uh, South Pittsburgh, Tennessee. I, I went through the gospel with him. I said, wouldn't you like to get saved? And he said, no. I, he said, I said, why not? He said, well, because if I got saved now, I'd probably sin this afternoon and lose it and I'd have to get saved all over again. And I said, what on earth are you talking about? I said, well, you break apart, you break the hole. I said, what? He said, you break apart, you break the hole. And I knew what he was talking about, but... Boy, did he have that all messed up. You're already breaking the whole thing. But you come to Jesus, he'll save you. Now, when God saves us, he perfectly saves us, but he doesn't make us perfect yet. He works on us. He grows us. Amen. 
But he just couldn't seem to get past that. He'd heard that somewhere. You break apart, you break the whole. Revelation 3.20 declares, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him, will sup with him, and he with me. Jesus pleads for people to come to him. But people remain lost because they would not. He came to save them. He will not make them get saved. He'll not make you get saved. If you decide to stay lost and burn in hell, believe me, it's not going to make hell less hot. It's real, and you will burn. As a matter of fact, the degree of punishment in hell is determined by the amount of light rejected. Now, but now, let's, let's go to a group of Christians today. There are a lot of Christians that are not very happy in their Christian life. In spite of the fact that Jesus said in John chapter 10 and verse 10, he said, the thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy, but I am come that you might have life and that you might have it more abundant. God wants you to have an abundant Christian life. But there are a lot of Christians that don't have an abundant Christian life. Why? I mean, after all, the big question there is, do you have life? He, but he didn't just come for you to have life he had, that you might have it more abundantly. He wants you to have an abundant Christian life. It's kind of like when the, the ambulance people go to the home or here's a guy who's had a heart attack and they come in, this guy's in pain. Uh, now, if he's not moving, well, first thing they check, is he alive? Because if he doesn't have life, it doesn't make any difference how happy his life was. He's dead. But if he's alive, he want, they want him to recover, he might not have a good life after that. But they want him to recover. Life is the main question for them, not abundant life. But Christ, when he saves you, wants you to have the abundant Christian life. Understand the abundant Christian life doesn't mean he's going to pour out all kinds of money for you because money doesn't make people happy. As a matter of fact, quite often money makes people sadder, makes them greedier. The more they have, the more they want. Haven't you wondered about some of these ball players, you know, making $60 million a year? Man, how much is enough to live on? And they're miserable. They're getting married five, six, seven times. They can't get happy with anyone or anything. They're trying to protect that money so much. Uh, it was Rockefeller who said, millionaires seldom, seldom smile. The more you have, the more you can lose. And boy, people are afraid of that. Money. How many people who have a lot of money, and a lot of money to me doesn't take $60 million a year. A lot of money has brought up a lot of kids who hate their parents. They even hate what their parents stand for. But they want their big cars and they want their freedom to do everything they want. They think because they're part of the rich class, they ought to be able to do it. As soon as mom and dad cut them off, you find out how much they hate them. And in today's society, they even kill their parents. But let's get back to this matter of life more abundant. What is a life more abundant? Man, living for Jesus, living for eternal values, a life more abundant. I'll tell you why some people aren't happy. They don't like what the book says. They've trusted Christ as Savior, and they think God ought to just pour out everything upon them and think nothing bad, nothing cross, nothing in an ill way. But in Jesus, you can get joy even going through the trials. 
And man, in Jesus, you've got something to look forward to. You've got something to live for that really counts. I got saved. I wanted to be in the house of God. I wanted to hear the word of God preached. To me, that counted for something. You know, the worst part of the whole pandemic for me, of all that we went through, was that the church didn't meet like it normally meant. I like being with God's people. Now, we could stay at home. I like my house. My house is nice. It's decent. I I like my bed. Hey, staying at home, I could be happy there, but not being with God's people, that'd be miserable. But there are a lot of Christians that are miserable because they're afraid to take God up on the things that he says are really important in the Scripture. He said, I'm coming, you might have life. Well, thank God I have life. Ah, but not just that, but that you might have it more abundantly. He wants you to have an abundant life in Christ. Now, if you don't have an abundant life in Christ, something's wrong with you, not with him. Jesus said, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things. That's food and clothing, all you need to live on. You know, they're talking about maybe even a global famine. I saw a story on that just the other day. I've got a promise. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Hey, it was just 22 years ago. People were talking about Y2K. And man, there were going to be famines all around the world. And the countries that were going to be hit the hardest were going to be the the countries that had computers. Oh, that meant the U.S. is going to have it pretty bad. I, I know of people that sold their houses in the city in Madison and bought places out in the country so they could grow their own stuff so they could live. Now, if you're one of those, I'm not making fun of you. I'm just simply saying what I preached back then in 1999, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added unto you. Guess what? God took care of us. And if it had been a famine, God would have taken care of us. The psalmist said, I've yet to see the righteous forsaken nor seed begging bread. God would take care of us. We can trust him. We don't need to have a 60-inch TV in order to have joy. We don't have to have three TVs in order to have joy. Guess what? You don't have to have a supercomputer cell phone. They call it a smartphone in order to have joy. We did just fine before there ever was a cell phone. Matter of fact, before there was a cell phone, I I think what we had was uh, beepers. I remember I was visiting a family. Matter of fact, he was a Huntsville policeman uh, just off of 72 down here in uh, in Huntsville. And uh, I I had gotten a beeper so that the secretary could contact me if there was an emergency. And, of course, you can't call back on a beeper. You just know that somebody's trying to get a hold of you. And you had to call in. And I had it on my belt. I figured that little clip on there was for putting it on your belt. And so... I'm sitting there and I'm talking to the guy about the Lord. That's the first time I'd ever had one of those beepers. And I'm sitting there talking to him and suddenly, whoa, what, what, what is that? Oh, after I'd knocked it off my belt, it was on the floor, scared me to death. You know, we can get along without a beeper. There's a lot of things we can get along. I I know it'd be difficult for us to get along without air conditioning, but our forefathers did it. They went to church when there was no air conditioning. And they sat and sweat and fanned themselves. 
and they could be faithful. And they did. When they had to get in the buggy and ride the buggy to church, they could do it and be faithful. We've got so many conveniences. Good night. We get in the car. We turn the air conditioning way. You turn it up or down for it to be colder. Turn it way down. Freeze your way in. Then you come into air conditioning comfort. You come in. You get to sit in padded pews. Our forefathers didn't have any of that. We think we got to have, we've got it so easy, we're not tough about anything. Talk about snowflakes. I'll tell you something I've learned about snowflakes. They melt with a little bit of heat. And we live in a society of snowflakes that just a little bit of hardship. And man, they're ready to throw in the towel. They're done. Well, what's the result of this failure? Look at verse 38. He says, behold, your house is left unto you desolate. It's not good. See, John chapter 3 and verse 18, he that believeth on him is not condemned, but he that believeth not, now get this, is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. John three thirty six. he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. Scripture says in 1 John 5, 12, He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. And the result of not having the Son when you die, as it is appointed unto man once to die, after this, judgment. And the Bible says in death and hell, we're cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever is not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire, from which there is no escape. You die and go to hell. It's not purgatory. There is no such thing as purgatory. There is heaven and there is hell. You want to escape an eternity in hell, you must come to Jesus Christ. Jesus wants you to come to him. Jesus wants you to have eternal life. He wants you to have heaven, but he did not make you a robot. He made you a person with a free will. You can choose him. You can reject him. But understand, you reject him, hell is what you get. You accept him, you get heaven. Back in 1969, Hurricane Camille came off the Gulf in through Mississippi and that whole area. There were a bunch of hurricane uh, partiers in past Christian Mississippi. Now, if you get on the Internet, there's one Internet site that says that this story is not true. Even though Walter Cronkite of CBS News, who at one time was the most trusted newsman in America, reported on this story and the death of these revelers. The winds had gotten up to 60 miles an hour as the hurricane was getting close to shore. These people were in the Richelieu apartments. And the police chief, a man by the name of Jerry Peralta, went by the Richelieu apartments because they had issued an evacuation order. And these 12 people did not want to leave. They told him, we're not going anywhere We want to stay here. We're going to party through the hurricane. Now, the hurricane winds, when it came ashore, were 174 miles an hour. 
there was a wave that came in, part of the storm surge at high tide, that came in almost 25 feet high. It destroyed the Richelieu apartments, and all of them died. Now, whose fault was that? I know we get some congressional committee together today, and somehow it'll be that sheriff's fault. Because we all know that the police, they're always the ones at fault. They're also the ones who keep us safe to be able to even live in our homes. But that's another message entirely. But he offered rescue. They refused. He offered them the warning and the opportunity to leave. But they refused. They wanted to party a while longer. There are people who are thinking, well, I'll wait a while longer to be saved. They're hoping to make that decision, you know, right near the end. They want to get everything out of the, out of the flesh and the world that they can get. That's their desire. But the Bible gives a warning. God gives a very severe warning about that in Proverbs 29.1. He that being often reproved hardeneth his neck shall suddenly be destroyed, and that without remedy. I mean, the only way you can be sure of heaven is to take Christ today. There are Christians. They're saved. They know Christ. They know they're going to heaven. But they've got sin in their life. They won't get right. They won't get faithful to God. They gossip. They backbite. They walk in the world. And the word of God warns us very plainly, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And then they can't understand why the spiritual Christians who love the Lord don't want to hang around them. They can't understand why they have no joy in their life. And they blame it on everybody else. Scripture clearly says, Be not deceived, God is not mocked. Whatsoever a man soweth, that shall you also reap. I mean, if you sow to the wind, you're going to reap the whirlwind. It's as simple as that. And the strange thing is, we have a promise. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. We have a mighty God, a powerful God. He not only wants the lost to be saved, he wants the saved to live close to him, to have that abundant Christian life. If you're not saved, your fault, but you could get that settled today. You could come to Jesus and change all that and heaven can be your eternal destiny. Christian, if you're not joy, enjoying your Christian life, you can get that changed today. First of all, get right with him. Confess your sins. In the book of Revelation, chapters 2 and 3, there are seven churches of Asia Minor. Jesus writes to those seven churches. And out five of those churches, he points out some sin in their life. And in those five churches, he says, repent. Or else. Repent. I mean, we've got a wonderful Savior. We've got a great God. If you're lost, that's not what he wants. He wants you saved. If you're saved, he wants you living for him. He doesn't want you to stay in infancy in your Christian life. He wants your life to really count for something. Because one day... We're all going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ to give an account for the things done in this body. Jesus said to the city of Jerusalem, I would 
but ye would not. See, the truth is, if we're not what we ought to be, it's on us. It's not on God. It's not on the pastor. It's not on some church you think that may have done you wrong. It's not on those people who look down their nose. No, no. If you're not what you ought to be, it's only on one person, and that's you. Because God has everything that he wants you to have. All you have to do is take it. Let's pray. Father, we come to you now in the name of the Lord Jesus. Dear God, deal with hearts today, I pray. Here in the auditorium, over the internet, we ask, dear God, you'd move upon hearts. For any without Christ, Christ came for them. He died for them. He paid their sin debt. He rose from the dead three days later so that they could be forgiven of all their sin. Dear God, I pray that there would be some who'd come to Jesus Christ today and receive his free gift of eternal life. I pray for believers today. May they allow the Spirit of God to search out their heart and their life. And where they're not what they should be as a child of God, may they come and get right with you. Have your way in every heart, I pray. In Jesus' name. With heads bowed, eyes closed. How many can say by lifting your hand, well, thank God, preacher, if I died right now, I know I'd go to heaven. Praise God. Would you slip your hand up as a testimony of the Lord? Would you do that? God bless your hearts. Thank you. Put them down. Now, if you could not raise your hand, listen to this Bible verse. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. God wants you to have eternal life and know it. Is there someone this morning that simply by raising your hand, you'd be saying, Preacher, I'm just, I don't know if I died right now, I'd go to heaven. But I want to go to heaven when I die. Please pray for me. Would you slip your hand up? Would you do that? Anybody like that at all? Just hold up your hand where I could see it then put it back down. All right, are there some Christians today? I said, Preacher, there are things in my life that I know are not right. And I know he wants them right. Please pray for me. Would you slip your hand up, child of God? Would you do that? God bless you. God bless you. Yes. God bless you over here. Somebody else? Yes. God bless you. All right. Get it taken care of this morning. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. Lord, now have your way in every life. Save the lost. May your people get right with you. I ask in Jesus' name.